Well, today is part three of our new teaching series entitled Community, and we have spent the last couple of weeks to look at parts of the scripture that give us the idea of our responsibility of um, leaving a lasting impact, uh, making this impact in people's lives that are one that would be memorable as well as changeable. The thought that we had two weeks ago when we launched the series was we studied and looked at the community of believers within the church and the responsibility that we have to be unified. The topic of unity is one that is so crucial to a church taking the next step as God would lead them. A church that is not unified is stuck in neutral. A church that is not unified is concerned internally instead of outwardly. And so a church that is unified is very difficult to find God's blessing on it. Then last week we unveiled and shared the vision for 2018. We studied the early church in Acts chapter 2, and we looked at our theme of the year as well as our theme of the day was impact. How do we make this impact? The early church is such a tremendous example and one that we look throughout this whole year as how does God's church make a lasting impact? So we come back to Acts chapter 2 today. We looked at verses 37 through 41 last week and this week we're going to finish it up by looking at verse 42 through 47 and this example that the early church is to us today. So in Acts chapter number 2, if you have your Bible and turn there or uh, turn your Bible on or click the right buttons to find the text of Acts 2, if you don't have a Bible in hand, there's one should be right in front of you in the hymn book holder. And so Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods. They parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. This morning we look at this text with a third part of the series on community and we look at together we bring growth. Together we bring growth. Father, we ask for your guidance this morning. Our hearts have been prepared with the music. We now come to this point where we expectantly want to hear from you. So we as hearers, we must be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We must be moldable to take what is being spoken. And Lord, will you bring conviction to our hearts that ultimately we would be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. I pray today, Lord, that you would speak your message, remove me as a distraction, remove the distractions from us so that we can hear directly from you. And thank you, Father, for your message in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today, many books have been written on the thought of church growth. Uh, it's a guide to what is the strategy, and so books like The Purpose Driven Church or Seven Practices of Effective Ministry, Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations, A Church for the 21st Century, and the list really could go on and on. So the best, best church growth manual that has ever been written is actually located here in Acts chapter number 2. It's a beautiful picture of what the true church was involved with and how they simplified their methods to do exactly what God had called them to do. And so we look at this. We find how did it really take off? What was their secret and what was their practice? 
what were their motives and goals and what was it that they were going to do, accomplish through their purpose effectively. And so the Lord was definitely in it. The Holy Spirit has indwelt the believers there in Acts chapter number 2, the very beginning. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is working. They had purpose, they had drive, they had goals. And now what was going to happen is it's going to unfold right before us on these very pages how God is going to bless his church and help it to move forward. They truly had something special take place. Uh, They didn't have um, these first century techniques that are not usable or practical for us today. They didn't have the, uh, the edge on the market that we can't tap into. So that's why today... I believe that we should look together at Acts 2 and see the example that they have set for us. An example of a church that together grew together. And I love that for us. So let's look at it. Together we bring growth. In verse 42, we see this unwavering focus. How will we do that? How will we grow? Together, how will we bring growth? And I'm not talking numerical growth. That's God's business. He'll do that in his timing. But how do we bring growth to who we are spiritually? How do we continue to gel as a body of believers? How do we continue to buy into the purpose and vision? How do we continue to become the church that goes much further beyond these walls and makes a huge impact in our community and sphere of influence? I believe we have to be unwavering in our focus. Luke records what happened to these new converts, and he looks at verse number 42. They continued steadfastly. I love that consistency. I love that commitment that they continued steadfastly. It was, a, it was not a nonchalant approach. It was not, let's just come and see what happens. It was not this, well, if we build it, they will come. There was this purpose that said, we have to be actively involved. And so they were continuing steadfastly. And what were they doing? There's four activities that which are listed. The teaching of the apostles' doctrine. There was the fellowship. There was the breaking of bread. And there was the prayer. Now these are generally regarded as four separate things. But a case certainly can be made that these four elements which characterized a Christian gathering as the early church collectively together would give us a purpose by which they met. It would have given us a plan for what they were going to do. And Luke records it here right in the text. Before we look at these elements, I want us to understand the importance to the church that we need to make a commitment to never waver from our focus. There's going to be a lot of outside distractions. There are a lot of churches that are doing different things that if we look and we say, ooh, if we just had that, we just had a huge chocolate fountain in the lobby when people arrived next week would be amazing right and and if we think if we had this and we had that now there are certain things that other churches are doing that we certainly can tap into there are elements by which we can partner and we can learn from that are things that we can partner with it's part of a vision it's part of a purpose but we must understand that the old saying says the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing right you've heard that plenty of times before Did somebody originally say that? I don't know who it was. Probably somebody dead and gone by now. But the church has been called to make a difference. And so if we're going to keep the main thing the main thing, how will we do that? How will we make that difference? You know, really, the truth is, is that the church all around the world is making an impact. The stories can be told of Romania. The churches churches in Romania, which are making an impact. The stories can be told in India and Mexico and South Africa. 
The stories can be told of churches in the United States or in Florida, even in our own city, that are churches, a part of God's church, that are making an impact with the gospel message. And so we don't stand around thinking we're the only one doing it right. We're the only one with the true message. We're the only one that wants to hoard the group and say, we can't branch out from here. We have to understand that to make an impact, we have to center everything on the gospel. Now, all around the world, the gospel is transforming lives. Ryan Stevenson wrote the song, The Gospel. Part of the song says, To the captive, it looks like freedom. To the orphan, it feels like home. To the skeptic, it might sound crazy to believe in a God who loves. In a world where our hearts are breaking and we're lost in the mess we've made, like a binding, blinding light in the dead of night, it's the gospel. The gospel that makes a way. You understand that it was the power of the gospel which brought change to your life. It was delivered to you by a messenger sent by God to give you the love of God, the message of God, and to be an extension of his grace. And it was not because of some preacher. It was not because of some man-made method. It was because the power of the gospel. And that is the message which will continue to change lives here on out. The message of the gospel never changes. The method by which it is given varies from day to day. There are opportunities that you have at your workplace to implement the, implement the gospel, and it may be different than the conversation you're going to have with a family member. Or the gospel that will be delivered this morning may have a little bit of a different method and approach next week during our week of renewal. The week of renewal, which we'll talk about in just a moment, is going to have a friend day focus on Sunday morning. And then on Monday night, it's a ladies' night out. And then on Tuesday night, it's a burgers bash for men. And you know what? The whole time, the power of the gospel will be presented. The power of the gospel will be clearly given. And we're looking and praying for it to change lives for salvation, but then take a body of believers and followers of Christ and bring us to the next spiritual step, change in our life. So the unwavering focus has to be on what the name of Jesus Christ represents. And the church will continue to make a difference. So when we look at these four elements, they really help give us a greater focus on what the early church was doing. Because first, there was the teaching. The teaching that was given by the apostles. It was the doctrine. And uh, these men were certainly qualified to the task because of their companionship with Jesus Christ. They were able to give a lot of personal illustrations that would have been excellent in the delivery of the message. In Acts chapter number 2, you read that whole chapter, you will find Peter's message that brought 3,000 plus people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We notice that doctrine is made a priority in the early church. A church without effective teaching, preaching, and exhortation from the scripture probably dangers in being entertainment-based. A church that starts to veer away from the importance of the text a church that veers away from the importance of doctrine and scripture. A church that is bordering on wanting to be entertainment. Wanting to tickle people and get laughter and, and, to, and to bring people to a place of, of enjoyment after a Sunday morning time together. And though I love to laugh, and honestly I like to make people laugh. That's an important part of communication, but it's not going to be the avenue by which we are teaching, preaching, and exhorting on the biblical truths. And so we have to make sure that the teaching is a focus. Then secondly, there was this fellowship. This word fellowship means sharing. And there in this, it's referring to holding a common bond together, uh, this common experience. 
this morning as we were getting ready to go to Sunday school, our connection classes, there were a bunch of people still out by the coffee station and eating donuts and drinking coffee and laughing and in conversation. And I'm looking at my clock and it's, you know, it's like one till 10. And uh, my dad and I are laughing together. He says, are you going to get these people to Sunday school? I said, no, let's go, people, no more fellowship. And I said, well, actually, that's what we're preaching on this morning. So no, stay, you know, do your thing and enjoy company. You know what it is? That sharing and that common bond brings laughter it brings emotion, and it brings this sense of uh, a safety, a security, knowing that somebody can relate with you, somebody can hurt with you, somebody can hear your story, and with their eyes, they communicate remorse and sadness. It's empathy for one another. It's compassion. It's this fellowship that says, this is something that I get here at church, that if I'm not a part of this, I don't get anywhere else. Oh, now you're going to get laughter at the break room and and you're going to get connections at the restaurant and you're going to have fun and fellowship of some sort with other people. But the church body has a common bond together as a family of God together. And so how will we continue to grow in that way? It's a partnership with Christ and with other believers. And we have this fellowship. We have a responsibility to motivate one another to righteousness and obedience. And somebody says, eh, so their friend, is that really how we should respond to our spouse? Or let me say, oh, I struggled with that too this week. Can you do this? And, and all of a sudden there's this motivation that says, I'm struggling. I'm just like you. Here's how we can do it better this week. Hey, I'll send you a text on Wednesday that just lets you know I'm praying for you. It's communicating with other people in this common bond. We need to stand together. We need to be encouraging, edifying one another, challenging and empowering each other to grow. We don't have to be slandering. We don't have to be gossips. We don't have to be complainers. We don't have to be negative. Who cares if somebody wore something that you don't like? That's not what's important. Who cares what somebody did this past week that you're not going to do? It's not important. We need to empower. We need to encourage. We need to direct people to the Lord. And so every obedient Christian is active participant in the local church, an active participant in some local body of believers, and they're doing their very best to be a part of that, to be a crucial nucleus of that, and to make sure that they are taking those steps of fellowship. Thirdly, he addresses the breaking of bread. Now this, most Baptists would take, means a potluck dinner every Sunday. Some would say anytime we're together, we have to have a feast. But the breaking of bread is in Luke's term for what Paul would call the Lord's Supper. It has been claimed that the thought simply is a fellowship meal, but with any, and have not having any specific relation to the Last Supper or the, the remembrance of the Lord's Supper, which celebrates and remembers the death of Jesus Christ. And I believe that it is likely that Paul is simply using an early Palestinian term that would have been here for this breaking of bread, which would have been speaking of the Lord's Supper in its proper sense. And so they were doing of that remembrance often. And then finally, there's the mention of prayer. And the omission here of of prayer would be detriment to any church body. And so prayer becomes a vital part. Prayer becomes necessary into the other elements, as you see in the text. Because as we see here, this doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer, the teaching, the fellowship, and the remembrance of the Lord's Supper cannot be effective unless there's a prayer heartbeat of that body of believers. And so it's praying for one another. It's praying for God's leading. 
It's being careful that as a local church, we don't get caught up on the prayer list of being all the aches and pains in the body, that we neglect the importance of praying for God's leading and wisdom and peace and direction. It's praying for a sense of renewal. It's asking for God to give revival. It's asking for God to use this body that he's raising up to make an effective impact in a community of lost and dying people. It's praying earnestly that God would put more people in these pews to hear the gospel message. It's praying earnestly that more people will be saved and baptized and discipled because of this local body of believers. It is praying fervently, continually, and earnestly that God would do a mighty work through this church at Highlands Baptist Church. And so, I would encourage you to consider a prayer partner, finding that fellowship and connection, and finding that prayer and common bond. So we bring growth by being unwavering in our focus. And then in verse 45, there's this generosity. And so we will grow together if we're generous with our giving. Now, there is so much for us to give. And I told the Discover Highlands class this morning that we don't talk and preach and teach much on the topic of giving. It's in the Bible and we teach it at the appropriate times. But it is not something by which has to be harped on. It's not something because what happens is when the biblical principles of God's word are applied to our life, giving just becomes a natural part of who we are. And so it becomes a fruit. It becomes an evidence. It becomes something that is poured out. And I'm not talking just about giving financially. I'm talking about giving of our time to one another and to others, to give our energy, to give our efforts, to give our listening ear to somebody, to give our sympathy, our empathy, to give love and dedication. And then, yes, the church. The church is called on to give back to the Lord, which he has so much blessed us with, for the furtherance of the ministry, for the furtherance of the gospel. And I'm so thankful for what 2017 accomplished by way of giving. But as we approach this new year, we're looking at so much more of how God wants to take our giving and increase the ministry. Thankful for the increase in our faith promise giving of missions this year. I'm thankful for the increase with our property advancement project and our tithes and offerings. And that enables us to continue to do things in our community as well as throughout the world. They were selling their possessions here. In verse number 44, they were using the money for those that were in need. It does not mean that they were selling everything that they had, pooling it together, and then evenly distributing it to everybody else. Uh, That's not the biblical context here. That would certainly not be the approach. And by the way, the church is not designed to do that with easy giveaways or handouts. The government should not be designed in that way. But what does happen with the church is that they were selling their possessions and then using the resources for those who were in great need. It happened in chapter 4, verse 34 through 37, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 13 and 14. I read a story about the automaker Henry Ford. He was vacationing in Ireland when he was asked to contribute toward a new orphanage. And so Henry Ford, he wrote a check for 2,000 pounds, which made headlines in the local newspaper. But the paper inadvertently reported the gift at 20,000 pounds. Quite a surprise. And so the director of the orphanage, he apologized to Henry Ford. He said, I will phone the editor straight away and tell him to correct the mistake that he made. Henry Ford responded, there's no need for that. And he promptly wrote a check for the additional 18,000 pounds. What a nice gesture of giving. 
I bring that up because I'm just asking you today as you give online or you write it on your envelope, if you want to make a mistake like that, that's just going to be spirit-led, okay? And we'll just take that as God's doing and God's leading. But God blessed giving hearts. We cannot claim the promise of Philippians 4.19, by God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We cannot claim that promise unless we are giving like the Philippians. The church at Philippi were givers. They were giving of all their resources. They were giving in every way possible. They were sacrificing for the furtherance of the ministry. They were sending Paul, a missionary, church planner. They were sending resources to him of of money. Uh, They were giving to their local body. They were giving of their time and efforts. They were even giving one of their own by the name of Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was being sent off to work with Paul. Epaphroditus became so sick he was on his deathbed. Paul became very concerned because the church at Philippi had given to uh, Paul's ministry. And Paul said, as soon as you're better, I want you to go home so that the people won't worry. Sends him back home. And he reminds the church at Philippi of their giving hearts. And he said, church at Philippi, because of your giving hearts, remember, God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What a huge promise. So don't put it on your, on your house wall and, and don't hang it from your rearview mirror as a promise you claim every day unless you're willing to live as a giver like the church at Philippi. Amy Carmichael said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And you know what leads us to give of our time, support, our resources, our finances, our emotions, even a listening ear? You know what leads us? What fuels us to do that is true compassion, which is led by a dedication and commitment to love God and love people. That's what fuels us to give out of love. So if I love God wholeheartedly and give in to the Spirit's leading, I will know that it wasn't heartburn telling me to give above and beyond. If I love God and I'm going to naturally love people because of that, I'm going to give of my resources to be a blessing to somebody else. And so if that means I have to sacrifice some time on my schedule to chisel out 30 minutes to hear a story so that I can pray with them and be emotionally attached to their affliction, then I'm willing to do that because I'm fueled by loving God and loving people. Now we bring growth by being generous with our giving. And then in verse 47, we grow by being mindful about representing God. In verse 47, they're responding to all that is taking place. Remember, there are thousands of new converts. There are thousands of people who this is all new stuff. They're being taught in the way of doctrine. So they're being poured into, they've been saved and baptized, and now they're being discipled, the true Great Commission. As they're learning, they are fellowshipping and connecting with one another. They are spending time remembering and celebrating the Lord's Supper, the death of Jesus Christ. And they are spending time in prayer with each other. And what happens is that they begin to sell their possessions and they part them to those that have need. They continue this daily. Here's this thought of continuance in verse 47. This commitment with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They did, there you go, Baptist, you've got your breaking of bread from house to house. There's your meals. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. It wasn't always fried chicken, but I'm sure it was good. Verse 47, praising God. Praising God. 
The end result was that they were worshiping God. I love this focus here because the early church was mindful about the reality that they were representing God. Being Christ conscious. Knowing that Christ lived within them. That the Holy Spirit guided them. And that God the Father was being represented by them. There are so many Christians who have been saved from God's eternal judgment, but they still possess a streak of unlovely hardness about them. And that unlovely hardness is seen so clearly by other people. You see, that just never should be said about a follower of Jesus Christ who is representing God. You should not have the testimony at your work as the one who will always conflict with the boss and manager. You should not be known in your neighborhood as the one who yells louder than the dogs barking in the middle of the night. You should not be known by your neighbors as the one who's always complaining about the dog's duty in your yard. Duty, D-U-T-Y, that's what I was saying. We should not be known to others as the complainer or as the conflict one. We should be known as representing God, one that has joy and one who pours out happiness with that joy to others. Do people enjoy being around you? You say, well, that's just my personality. No, it's not. Do people enjoy being around you? You see, you represent God. And as a Christian, a Christ-like, a follower of Jesus, you should be known as being different. Your neighbor should be able to say to the other neighbor that says, you know, uh, that person came out, that neighbor came out the other day and saw my dog in their yard. He didn't yell one time. I apologized. I don't have any extra bags. I'm sorry. I'll be back tomorrow. He didn't complain. He didn't say, yeah, right. He just smiled, said, have a good day with your walk. A co-worker says, hey, don't tell so-and-so because he'll make sure that it's dealt with, but he'll do it in a way that makes sure the conflict is resolved. You see, sometimes co-workers say, hey, tell them. They're going to get riled up. And they'll say something. They'll do something. Is that you? Are you the one that's going to defend yourself to the, to the hilt because it just doesn't matter somebody has crossed you and they're going to know about it? And so all of a sudden... The Christ-conscious spirit that we're supposed to be guided by, the Holy Spirit, which gives us love, joy, peace, and long-suffering, that's patience. All of a sudden, that's out the window because the reality of life is I have to live with other people. So then now here comes the other question for all of us, and I think I might have to sit in the pew to receive this one. How are we known in our homes with our family? Oh, Oh boy, dad's home. I wonder if he had a good day or a bad day. Oh, I hope he had a good day. Oh boy, she's worn out. What's she going to say? How will she blow up? Teenagers, how about in your home? Do your parents wonder if you're going to be uh, obedient and respectful? Or do they wonder if this is going to be the day you try to cross the line? Is this going to be the day that you try to do things that you're selfish about? So you see, we call ourselves Christians, claimers of the gospel message, yet our lives don't represent God because we're so proudful and selfish. So let's all take that and let that sink in. And when we get up, let's try to be careful with our stepped-on toes not to let anybody know the Holy Spirit's working. Because we must be careful in this way. They were praising God, and because of it, 
Notice what it says. They had favor with all the people. I love the fact that, to the best of my knowledge, Highlands Baptist Church has a good reputation in the community. It is something by which we should build on. It does not become the church that puts weird statements on the sign to rile people up. It doesn't become the church that hopes to make the headlines in the newspaper. It doesn't become the church that tries to take a collective group of people and slander who they are and throw them under the bus. It doesn't become the church that stands on their soapbox and if you don't agree with me, that's all right. There's the back door. I'll see you some other time. We're not that church. We're also not the church that's going to compromise in what we know is right and what is wrong. We're not going to back down from what we believe is solid and truth. We will die at the stake for the gospel's sake. We will stand for righteousness. But we will also be guided by God's grace and we will be motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. And you know what? God has not called me to be your Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful for that. I will teach and preach biblical principles by which you will govern your life by. And you will take that and you will take it to the bank and you will live by that and how God will lead you and your home. And so may we never back down from that. And may we find ourselves to be impactful by representing God. I love the freedom to worship God. I'm thankful for the privilege to worship God. In this passage, it says they were praising God and people were noticing it. There was favor with all the people. And so how do you personally worship God? How do you personally worship God? Some of you driving down the road, your music is blaring, you got your windows down, your hands probably waving in the air, and you are praising God. There's different ways. We were playing a radio station the other day in the car. It was the two girls and myself, and we put on BBN. And uh, BBN was playing for just a few moments because the organ came on. Now, some of you love the organ. I love my organs too, but some of you just love the sound of the organ. And so when the organ came on, it reminded me of Bob Jones' days because when you'd walk into chapel or worship service on Sunday morning, it was, it was really loud and it was very, very beautiful as well. So I started to play it as we're driving and waiting and probably about two minutes in, Bailey goes, hey, Daddy, uh, could you change the station? And I said, why? This is beautiful. She said, this music's very scary. <laughs> I said, you know what? Yeah, you're right, it is. But you see, we all have our preferences with worship. For some of you, that organ music would have been blessing to you. And you know what? That's fine. That's good. And you are sitting in the pew finding out that Peter and Bailey changed the radio station from the organ, and you have no ought against me. I'm using reverse psychology right now. Okay? So the truth is, is the freedom with worship is we all have our ways of worshiping. And we all have that freedom in Christ. So let's never let our preferences cause us to become judgmental of others who honestly are experiencing worship. You know, churches that are critical of other churches and they say, well, they don't know what true worship is. We don't know their hearts and I'm not going to begin to criticize that. I'm only concerned about Highlands Baptist Church and how God will lead us to worship. And guess what? That attitude of thanksgiving and that attitude of joyful worship, it demonstrates how we love God. And it, it, it demonstrates it in tangible ways. And that's what I love about the freedom of worship. And then verse 47, because they were praising God, they were worshiping God, they were having favor with all the people. I want you to think about this, this impact with the gospel. This was one of our points last Sunday in verse number 30. 7, 38, 39. We were looking at the impact of the gospel when Peter preached 
it brought them. It pricked their hearts. It brought them to conviction. It brought them to change. They, they cried out, what do we need to do? And Peter simply said, repent. Repent of your sins. Be baptized and see this great forgiveness and this life change. So our theme is impact this year. We have to ask our questions, why? Why impact? And then once we define the why, we ask then how and when? And we defined that last week. If you weren't able to be here last week, I invite you to go to highlandsbaptist.org. Click on the link from last Sunday's message. It will give you a guidance of what we have laid out for 2018. Some pretty big things. We feel like God is leading us to rebrand the ministry. And we're going to rename the church and rebrand it. And uh, that's a crucial part of this year. We're looking at a two-service model. A two-service model sometime later in the year. We're looking at finishing the property advancement project. That's huge undertaking, but it's got to be done. And, and in February, we've got some things that will be moving in the lobby and some, some stuff that will be done. And again, Luke refers to this process of becoming a Christian as being saved. He says, saved from this being under the God's judgment for rejecting the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you in closing about this, this concentration of the impact of the gospel. We have been praying about this next week, next Sunday, and it's called the Week of Renewal. Let me just share with you the heartbeat behind the Week of Renewal with Evangelist Morris Gleiser. I'm so excited to have Brother Gleiser with us. I told him last night on the phone, I said, I cannot wait for our church family to meet you and your wife. And so they're coming in next Saturday. They will be with us for most of the week. And on Sunday morning is Friend Day. Now, Friend Day is a crucial day for our church body. Because everybody in here has a friend, and that friend isn't sitting beside you. Now, you, that, that may be a friend. Husbands say that is. That's a best friend, right? And so we have our friends. But you know what? There are a lot of friends that we have in our life that could be sitting on the other side of us next week. I'm asking you to buy into this and to pray fervently for it. And I'll tell you why. I've asked Brother Gleiser to preach a message from the, uh, on the gospel, the saving power of Jesus Christ. And I want unsaved people to be here next week to hear that message. I want people to be in our congregation because of, uh, of, of our efforts to invite. To invite the guy and the girl at the cell phone place, which I'm working on getting Frank and Ingrid to be here next Sunday. It's inviting the lady that cuts your hair, and I'm praying that Jessica and her husband will be here next Sunday. It's inviting people that we meet at the restaurant. It's the people that we meet at the oil change place. It's our neighbor. It's the people that we know in our sphere of influence, our coworkers, saying, would you just be my guest? And guess what? I'll treat you to lunch. I'll take you out, or we'll have dinner at my place. We'll do something special, but please just come and be my guest. And so our focus with the week of renewal is twofold. Our prayer is that God will use the week of renewal to give the gospel in such a way that people's lives will be transformed as a rejecter of the Messiah Jesus Christ to become a follower of him. That's what we want to see. But then we also want to see the body of Christ to be led in the next spiritual step. So it becomes how we will soak in what we're being taught. And with moldable hearts, we will look to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. So Sunday morning is friend day. Sunday night is a regular Sunday night service at five o'clock. At the end of the Sunday night service, weather permitting, we're gonna invite you to the back island for s'mores that night. We'll have the s'more kits available. We ask you to bring a lawn chair, bring a blanket, bring ever what you can, and we'll have it lit up back there. Plenty of parking, and you can go back and we can just fellowship together, have a good time of talk and laughter. 
Then on Monday night is ladies' night out. Ladies' night out is a dinner just for you. We're catering a meal. We're going to have a program with some fun games, some music, some giveaways, prizes. Everybody will go home uh, that night with a gift from the church. And then we'd love to have Lynn Gleiser is going to speak to the ladies that night. And so uh, that'll be a real special night. There again, ladies, I'm asking you to invite somebody. I'm not asking you to just come and relax and take it in for yourself. It's twofold. It's for you to be renewed and for somebody you to, to bring to hear the gospel. Tuesday night is the men's burger bash. Men, you know how to, how to put down a burger or two. And so we're going to do a program with Brother Gleiser that night at 6 o'clock on Tuesday night. It'll be a lot of fun. The same thing, same idea. Program, games, giveaways, prizes, and, uh, and then we'll have Brother Gleiser speak to us. Wednesday night is the youth rally. So just teenagers on Wednesday night. The teenagers will have their thing in the gym, in the teen room. We're asking you to pray that God would shape teenagers' lives on Wednesday night. For our Christian teenagers to take next spiritual step, to dedicate themselves, to be dedicated followers of Jesus. And for unsaved teenagers who they're fervently asking and inviting to come, that they would come and hear the gospel of Jesus. And so that's going to be our week of renewal. Looking forward to what will be accomplished that week. And that is part of making an impact with the gospel. Now, if you're here today and you said, impact, gospel, what? It's about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. It's about Jesus taking the guilt of the world and placing it on himself. It's about Jesus Christ taking that and dying and three days later coming back to life. The victory that he had from the grave gives us the hope of eternal salvation through Jesus. The Bible tells us, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, one way, he is guilty of all. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's about admitting, coming to the, the fact that I'm a sinner, knowing that there's sin in my life that has caused me to fall short of the glory of God. And then it's a confession. That confession is repentance. It says, I claim that and take it and understand it's my fault. It's not mom and dad's fault. It's not my society, my culture. It's not my boss. It's nobody else's fault. It's my fault. And it says, I confess that and I believe that Jesus Christ can and will save me if I will receive him as my very own. So in this passage of scripture, Luke gives us a glimpse of the everyday life of the Christian. They enjoy a wonderfully united group as they learn together from the apostles. They share meals together and they share times of prayer. God is with them. We know that without a doubt. And his presence overflows in the miracles of the apostles. His presence is shown in the love of the church members. The church grows because this way of life is so genuine and so attractive. The reality is, is people want to be a part of a genuine group of people that is not first judgmental, but is first warm and welcoming. That realizes that God is going to bring people at different places in life, at different levels with a variety of backgrounds. And so we're not pushing to be uniformed. We're pushing to be diverse, all centered around unity. So my commitment to you is to continue to lead Highlands together we can bring growth. The question becomes for all of us, am I willing to be represented by the early church, the practices of the early church, so that I could too be included in bringing growth to Highlands Baptist?